Hello, and welcome to another episode of Latino in Chicago. This is your host, Eric Lugo. Before we jump into today's episode, I'd like to take a quick moment and say thank you. We are three episodes into Latino in Chicago, and already I've received an incredible amount of positive feedback about what we're trying to achieve. Not only has the idea of a podcast featuring innovative Latina and Latino minds from across the city been welcomed, but it has also reached more people than I could have imagined. Our subscriber count continues to grow, and that is all thanks to you. Because of that, I do have a favor to ask. We want to continue to spread the word about Latino in Chicago, and one way to do that is to subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content, please leave us a five-star review. All right, on to today's show. Our guest is Jose Rico, Senior Vice President of Community Impact at the United Way of Metropolitan Chicago. Jose leads the organization's community impact work in education, income, health, and basic needs support. He also stewards its neighborhood network model of delivering highly coordinated and concentrated services in underserved communities. Prior to the United Way, Jose served as the Executive Director of the White House Initiative on Educational Excellence for Hispanics, where he planned policy, strategic initiatives, outreach, and communications for President Obama's education agenda in the Latino community. Jose offers some great insight on the challenges facing Chicago and ways Latino leaders can continue to be a part of the solutions process. He also offered some great advice for young professionals aspiring to grow in philanthropy and their field. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, and without further ado, here's Jose. So Jose, welcome to Latino in Chicago. It's great to have you here. Great. It's great to be here, Eric. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, the United Way and, and your role here? Sure. Um, so I'm uh, the Senior Vice President for Community Impact here at United Way. Um, and that basically means is that I lead the foundation uh, part of the organization. So many people know United Way as a community chess model where um, people who work in workplaces uh, give their donations from their paycheck or they write a check to the United Way that for many years here in Chicago, almost 100 years, collected uh, different dollar amounts, whether it was $1 a month or large corporate gifts, um, and put it all together in a big pot. And then the organization, what we do here right now is we provide grants to about 200 community human service organizations to do the good work that they do, right? Mm -hmm. and, and many of these organizations like uh, Instituto Latino Progreso, La Casa Norte, Metropolitan Family Services, Gads Hill, all the great uh, human service organizations that are here improving our communities in Chicago. Mm -hmm. So what kind of areas does the United Way then giving to? So uh, traditionally, uh, United Way would give almost to any area any nonprofit that was uh, meeting the needs of people in crisis. Uh, most recently, in the last six years, uh, uh, United Ways across the country have uh, reorganized to look at what are called impact uh, outcomes, mm -hmm. meaning that if uh, you give a gift to United Way, we're going to be able to show the return of that donation 
based on uh, four areas of uh, uh, impact outcomes, and they are safety net, um, you know, food pantries, homeless shelters, uh, education, which here in Chicago is early learning and middle school, so middle school programs, and we fund early learning centers. Um, income, which is job placements, uh, we uh, we provide grants to organizations that place people in jobs, and uh, the the one that we've had the biggest success actually is in health. Okay. So uh, we uh, fund both community-based uh, health organizations that provide uh, people access to uh, health services regardless of uh, of immigration status. But the big piece that we started about three years ago with the uh, passage of the Affordable Care Act is we actually have hired, uh, over the past three years, almost 200 navigators to help enroll people in uh, health insurance and be able to help them access the whole health insurance landscape. So those are the four areas that we've been doing most of our investments over the last six years. That's great. Um, on the health front, are you seeing... Uh, families accessing health care, preventative health care, as well as emergency care different now? Yeah, so, you know, what we've seen is obviously the goal of ACA was to increase health insurance, and we knew that a lot of families that were eligible to get Medicaid or Medicare services uh, were now able to as access those services uh, simply because there was a neighborhood uh, center or a neighbor who was trained to uh, and show them how to enroll into the Affordable Care Act. Mm -hmm. So just the act of uh, training neighborhood people to, uh, to be able to access their neighbors and show them how easy it was and how affordable it was for many folks, it's free, uh, to then not only get health insurance, but in... Um, in uh, Medicaid and Medicare, you have to re-enroll mm -hmm. uh, once or twice a year and, um, and there's a navigator that helps them do that. Mm -hmm. We've also been able to get young people um, and immigrants who are eligible go into the marketplace. So this is the insurance that you will pay. Um, and again, we've heard stories uh, from many people that this is the first time they've been able to afford health insurance. And for some of them, it's been life-saving. Mm -hmm. uh, so there's been a lot of great work uh, there. There's still a lot more work to do. For example, you know, here in Chicago in particular, the need for mental health services has just increased dramatically, um, and we need to make sure that uh, service providers that provide that service also get paid at the same rates mm -hmm. that uh, physical health uh, providers uh, have. And that's something that's a, uh, something that goes into legislation, but from the foundation part, from the work that I lead, we're actually providing more grants to providers for mental health services because we know that's a huge need. And being able to be in the community and knowing what's going on in the areas of jobs, knowing what's going on in education, knowing what's going on in health, allows us to then adjust the, our areas of, uh, of giving mm -hmm. that tries to address some of those needs. That's great. So how did you make your way to the United Way? So um, when I returned to Chicago from D.C., um, one thing I knew uh, that um, I wanted to be able to make an impact, but I knew the limits of government. Mm -hmm. So it was clear to me that I did not want to come and work in government because I was there for about five years. And then, you know, as a high school principal, being part of government, I saw the limits of it. Um, and I wanted to be in an organization that allowed me to innovate and to mm -hmm. be able to make impact, not at a broad scale, because I came from a place that 
was national, mm -hmm. but really in a place that was broad enough to be able to influence something. Mm -hmm. um, and when I was in D.C., what I heard, what I saw, many of the innovations in, for example, My Brother's Keeper, many mm -hmm. of the innovations with the Promise Neighborhoods, mm -hmm. many of the innovations in community development were led by foundations and some of them from the United Ways mm -hmm. from across the country. Um, and then I saw that if you're able to be in a place where you could leverage private dollars, where you could be at the table with governments, and then you could always keep your feet on the ground in communities, that that's where actually you had the opportunity to make some change. Awesome. So for me, that was really a place that I wanted to be. I wanted to, I understood kind of the way policy and government worked. Uh, and uh, a lot of the times, getting pressure from the outside, both in resources and influence and policy, mm -hmm. um, really move uh, in internal government policy better than if I would have been in government. Mm -hmm. So so I wanted to take a break from the government side, yeah. and this was just a great place to be able to make some of those changes. That's great. Mm -hmm. And can you tell us just a little bit about your time in D.C.? Like, where did you come from? Sure, <laughs> sure. So um, so after uh, the president won the election in 2009, I was asked to uh, join a president's team on the education side. Um, and, you know, and so I actually um, went to meet with, uh, at that time, President-elect Obama, over at the Dirksen Federal Building on December 12th, 2009. And I remember it was December 12th because my mom reminded me it was El Dia de la Virgen de Guadalupe. Mm. Um, and when I went to meet with him, you know, the, he, he basically uh, welcomed me to the family. He was like, we want to we wanna get people in D.C. We want to get families that we like in D.C. and we want you and your family to come. Mm. And the other thing he told me is, we also want people that know how it is to address these complex issues who have experience on the ground with mm. this. So, so he wanted me uh, because I was a high school principal and uh, wanted me to work over at the Department of Education to be able to address some of these issues that had some uh, experience. And at that time, I remember when he told me that, I thought, well, of course, that makes total sense. Mm -hmm. um, when I went to D.C., I realized that I was an outlier. Mm. That, um, you know, the first in, uh, interaction I had with a lot of the Department of Education um, uh, senior staff, not the political appointments, these are the people that actually run most of the programs there, they all were shocked that um, I was an actual high school principal and had education in my background because in the previous administration, under the Bush administration, very, there was hardly any people in that were doing education policy that had that background. Mm -hmm. And then within the political appointees, those of us that were there that came to work with the president, some of the folks that Arnie brought in, um, not a lot also mm -hmm. had that uh, educational experience that was recent. You know, mm -hmm. Some folks had experience from a while back, but there were a few people, there were, there were only a handful of us that had experience in the schools. So that was really interesting. That was mm -hmm. interesting uh, being there and uh, looking at these incredible programs and, and a lot of the reforms that were put out there and me having that experience on the ground, I understood now what the president meant mm -hmm. when he said we really want people that have some contact knowledge and experience here mm -hmm. because a lot of the discussions and arguments and decisions um, uh, really, I think, were 
were better because of some of the folks that had that experience on the ground. Awesome. So from Chicago neighborhood to D.C., back to Chicago, thinking about neighborhoods, mm-hmm. but not necessarily in a direct neighborhood role. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, you're looking to support neighborhoods and their challenges on a regular basis. Right. Can we speak a little bit yeah. to some of the challenges that you see Chicago facing? Yeah, well, you know, I, I think, you know, right now, anybody who watches uh, presidential debates or uh, reads almost any article about what's happening to our urban centers in the country will see that Chicago right now is basically the talking points of mm-hmm. a lot of the problems that's happening in major cities, right? We're the outlier in terms of how bad things are. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think the most recent... Uh, statistic I saw that Chicago accounts for nearly half of all the murders in urban America today, wow. right? Um, and so right now, almost everywhere you go, that's that's what's happening. And, and you know, and for those of us that have been doing this work, uh, we have seen some pretty incredible markers that kind of show us um, what's happening in our cities and in light of what the mayor's announcements last week, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think, I think we need to be able to recognize that, you know, um, that the violence in Chicago is obviously something that's affected our neighborhoods for far too long. I was telling somebody the other day that, you know, when, when I grew up in, in Pilsen and Little Village, uh, there was a lot of violence that was happening. I mean, I witnessed several uh, violent acts myself, um, and it was something that we lived with. But now, when you look at the scale of the violence and who's perpetrating that violence and how random it is, I think this is something really, really new, and it's and it's alarming. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look over the statistics over the last three or four years, there was actually a time when some of that violence was starting to decrease. Mm-hmm. But and then you overlay the year when the school closings happened and then you overlay last year when uh, the state budgeting passed and a lot of critical job placement and team programs were closed or shut down and then you overlay the lack of jobs um, Mm -hmm. in our neighborhoods uh, and the influx of guns. I mean, this is basically a a perfect storm of all the negative things that, um, that could predict that this is uh, the crisis that we're in. Um, and I think, you know, the, the way I look at this, the way I kind of try to wrap my head around this, is that I see if, if, if you have somebody who could provide jobs, if you have somebody who's a school leader, if you have a social service provider, a youth, if you have all of us in a room and we talk about how to solve the gun uh, violence issue in our neighborhoods, you're going to get a lot of solutions. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think you're also not going to get everybody to agree on the problems, mm. right? And for me, the way I think about this is that I think all of that is fine. I, I don't think we need to agree on what the solutions are per se, but I think we all need to understand from our point of view what the problems are, mm. right? Because I think that's the only way, once we map out what all the different ways in which we define our problems from my point of view, then we're going to be able to define and map out what are the gaps, what are we not addressing, and then we're going to be able to map out how can we work together on this. 
and then we're going to be able to map out what's the role of the city, what's the role of the state, what's the role of the feds, what's the role of the black clubs, what's mm-hmm. the role of the church uh, faith leader. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's what I'm hoping that we're able to get uh, together on and, and, and figure out how to do that. Uh, because I, I, you know, the thing that I, that I thought was missing from the mayor's speech was that, um, that there isn't one solution. Uh, and I think the superintendent uh, said two weeks ago that this problem here is not going to be solved mm-hmm. by the police. This is not a policing problem. Yeah. This is more of a problem of how um, um, our community, our city, and our state has chosen to disinvest in our neighborhoods. Yeah. And this is what's happening. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I um, very much agree with that. Uh, I'm curious... How do you think philanthropy is in a unique position to respond to some of the, or bring, you know, these types of conversations, moments together? Yeah. So, you know, I think that, you know, in, in, we're in a very interesting place where right now, um, philanthropy is trying to figure that out, right? I know that I get calls, uh, from my board of directors, urgent, with urgent calls and urgent pleas for us to really address this issue of violence in, mm-hmm. um, with, in our role and the role that we play. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and, you know, and, and we, we have a strategy of, of uh, investing more dollars in neighborhoods, of convening local players to, uh, to agree on the issues that they want to work on, and to resource and provide capacity building resources in terms of money, people, expertise, and data uh, um, uh, support to help them do that. But we also know that um, right now within the foundation world, um, we are all, we're not as organized and as aligned as we could be. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're not having those conversations that I think we need to have around from each one of our perspectives what are these? What are these? Uh, uh, the causes of these problems, and how can we start to map out not only what we think the problems are, but how our investments are trying to address these problems? Um, and um, and unfortunately, I think we are, uh, including ourselves, are putting in um, some good intentions and some resources into neighborhoods to try to address some of these issues. Um, but I think we could do better in, um, in really coming together um, and trying to uh, map out what are some of the real root causes of this and how can me as a, a funder along with other funders and other uh, community leaders, how can we get involved in a comprehensive plan that we know will address some of these root causes and we really uh, tackle some of these issues. So there's great work that MacArthur is doing around uh, gun violence prevention and police account- accountability. There's mm-hmm. great work that the trust is doing in these um, community labs around how do you actually uh, help community members do this, uh, uh, identify these problems, come up with strategies. There's great work that LISC is doing. There's mm-hmm. a bunch of... Uh, foundations and intermediaries that are doing incredible work in mm-hmm. these different places. 
but uh, but it's just not coalesced. Yeah, and it's not something that's um, that anybody, even any any community leader, could point to yeah. and connect the dots to see how all of this is all leading towards a solution for neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. What role do you see um, Latino communities playing in those solutions? So. So you know, I, I've in in the short time that I've been back, um, I've been um, really uh, impressed and and re-energized by the Latino leaders here in Chicago. You know, I, I came I came from a place where um, I saw some of the most the smartest, most humble, most hardworking people trying to drive solutions and and run the federal government, you know, um, and, and, um, in an incredible way, um, and was really impressed by the, just the talent and the dedication of people there. And I've seen that here in Chicago from the Latino leaders here in Chicago. I think the first thing that I noticed was the lack of, um, um, acceptance or the lack of, uh, credibility that Latino leaders have been given by policymakers, both in the city and the states, even though we have probably one of the highest level of long, been working in neighborhoods and communities in the nonprofit world for a very long time, have proven results, have uh, leaders of great character and integrity, and we're not invited to the table to be able to make those decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think first and foremost, I think that there isn't that level of, of knowledge and understanding that the role that Latinos have played in building this city to where it's at. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you know how um, uh, if it wasn't for Latinos, our population in Chicago would have dropped. We would have probably been behind San Antonio or mm-hmm. any of these small s- cities yeah. uh, if it wasn't for the, our population. And then also, if you look at the, the education numbers that right now are increasing those education numbers, the majority of that is because of Latino achievement mm-hmm. in education has increased dramatically over the last 10 years. Uh, so, so even though we play an incredible productive role in the city, um, we're still not at the table and not being considered uh, for uh, making those policy decisions and driving some policy here here in the city. I think that's going to change soon. Um, but, you know, we're already the plurality. Yeah. Uh, we're already some of the, uh, the brightest uh, and, 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 uh, and some of the best leaders here in the city. And I think that uh, we just need to be, do a, a better job of, uh, of aligning ourselves with other incredible leaders mm-hmm. and be able to put forward some of the policy recommendations. They're not only going to benefit Latinos, but are going to benefit everybody in the city of Chicago. Yeah, that's great. I um, that, that, that point seems really important to me, right? Um, especially given the role you have right mm-hmm. here at the, at the United Way. Um, you're an individual with a perspective and uh, a background in Latino issues, mm-hmm. but you have in some ways a higher calling you know, through this role at least, right, in terms of thinking about communities expansively. How do you balance those two things, right? One, kind of bringing your authentic self to work, mm-hmm. and then at the same time, recognizing that that authentic self can influence and support other communities. Yeah, so so when I come into work, I'm always thinking about how can we make neighborhoods stronger, mm-hmm. right? 
who are the leaders and who are the organizations and what are the um, initiatives and projects that are happening in Roseland and Auburn Gresham, right? In Bronzeville, in Belmont Cragen, in these neighborhoods that could really provide, not only meet the needs of individuals, but could really help households prosper, mm -hmm. right? And for me, I, I really want to meet and talk with and learn what these neighborhoods uh, and leaders are doing. That's that's why I come to work and why I get excited about the work that I do here mm -hmm. um, at United Way. Um, the, the second part is that, and then I, once you start digging deeper, you start understanding what are the unique attributes of some of that work, mm -hmm. right? So if you start looking at why, um, you know, uh, a program in uh, Pilsen or Little Village is, um, is, is being successful, whether it's a health promoters uh, program or whether it's a uh, housing program. There is some cultural uh, uniqueness to that program because of where it's placed, right? Because who's driving that program and because of the population that you're trying to reach. What I really get kind of um, really excited about is when you see a program in another community, again, whether it's in Auburn Gresham or whether it's um, in, um, in Bronzeville, that is uniquely positioned in the African-American community, and to see whether that would actually cross over into the Latino community or what can we learn from that to be able to strengthen mm -hmm. another neighborhood. That to me is actually where I get really excited because I believe personally and professionally that the only way we're gonna bring things to scale uh, and get them out of our organizations or of our neighborhoods is if we're able to uh, really build this idea of uh, solidarity amongst communities that will allow um, one leader to go to another leader and say, you know, I believe in your success so much, right, that I want to be able to work with you, mentor you, and help you uh, implement this or learn how you're going to implement this idea mm -hmm. because that's the only way my uh, program or my project is going to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. And I think at one level, you know, I believe that if we're going to have any of the work in our neighborhoods improve and be sustainable, it cannot just be based in a Latino neighborhood mm -hmm. or an African-American neighborhood or, mm -hmm. or, any, or an immigrant neighborhood or an LGBTQ neighborhood community. Mm -hmm. They really need to be able to uh, feel some kind of... Uh, alliance or solidarity in order for that to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. um, and so for me, that's the part that uh, I'm in a unique situation to see those things uh, because I'm able to go to different neighborhoods and get a sense of what's happening in those places and then also be able to see some of the connections, but also saying, oh, wow, if what's happening there could have happened here, that might actually improve that program. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's that's the part that's the most exciting, I think, mm -hmm. um, uh, of the role that I play here yeah. in, in this organization. Uh, what advice would you give to younger folks that might want to take on or step into a similar role as yours? Uh, well, I think that the, the, the first piece of advice is that first you have to work really hard to know the job that you currently have, mm -hmm. right? 
you have to be able to understand what excellence is and execution and uh, and um, and reflection and feedback is mm -hmm. for you to be able to um, know and teach and provide technical assistance to others in your field, mm -hmm. right? So I think sometimes, you know, and that takes time, mm -hmm. right? That doesn't happen in six months or one year. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, uh, I've, I've done education uh, and, and did uh, learning and understanding for almost a little bit over 15 years, and I'm still learning about some new things that are going on, and I, and I still know uh, 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 something about mm -hmm. teaching and learning and learning communities and mm -hmm. student development, uh, uh, but I at least know enough that I could uh, really uh, share my knowledge and understanding with somebody that wants to get into the field, but it yeah. takes time, and yeah. it takes working at your craft for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. So first and foremost, know your craft, mm -hmm. right? Um, and, then, and then to me, the, the second part that I think is really important and what I you know, share with my son and with other people is then you have to really understand what your passion is mm -hmm. and what you want to be able to accomplish. Uh, and it cannot be around a title or a position or even a, an organization or a place, but it's what is the passion that you have, you know? And so if your passion is ensuring that people feel at home in their neighborhoods where they live, and then you're gonna find something, you're gonna have a role where you're gonna be able to help make that possible for families and children in whatever way, whether it's a school teacher, whether it's community development organization, whether it's the corner store building, you know, you own the corner store. But if, if you find your passion, the job and the position then will figure itself out. But you really then need to understand your passion. So two things, right? Do what you're doing now. If this is something that you love doing, do it well and know what you're doing. And then once you find your passion of what you want to do in life and how you want to be able, you'll figure out how you're going to get there. And, 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 and that's going to work itself out. I, you know, I've had many people ask me, what was your 10-year career trajectory? I was like, I don't even have a 10-month career trajectory. I don't know what my 10-year but I know what I'm passionate about. And I know that in the job that I'm, every job that I'm currently in, I always try to be excellent in that, uh, in that position so I could take that with me wherever I go. That's great, Jose. Any parting thoughts? Yeah, so I mean, I, I think that um, one thing I would like to just put out there is that if anybody who's listening who wants to be able to figure out how to find their passion or how to actually get good at their current position to find what their next step is, I'm more than happy to have a cup of coffee with you. Uh, you could shoot me a message on my LinkedIn page. Um, and then, uh, if it's just correspondence, just for any, um, any advice or even have a cup of coffee, I would love to be able to do that. Awesome. Why don't we just leave it there? <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> Thanks a lot for the time. Uh, Jose. No problem, Eric. I really appreciate it. It was a great this. conversation. <laughs> right. All right, folks. That was Jose Rico, Senior Vice President of Community Impact at the United Way of Metro Chicago. Again, I hope you enjoyed. And if so, please visit iTunes and subscribe or make sure to leave us a five-star review. This will go a long way in helping us connect to other listeners. Until next week, peace.